uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. December 1965. Is that all it has been since I inherited the world? Only three years. Another day to live through. Better get started. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Planet 8 Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the last man on Earth, the Omega Man, and I am Legend, what we fondly call the last Omega Legend on Earth. Uh, <laughs> Straight away, we're going to kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob to give us a little background. Uh, before these movies were made, there was a novel that was written. Uh, Chief, take it away. In 1954, the original novel, I Am Legend, came out by one of our favorite authors, Richard Matheson. Oh, yes. Now, Richard Matheson, of course, was responsible for things like Prey, mm-hmm. which became the uh, Zuni fetish episode of, uh, of the uh, Trilogy of Terror. Right. He also uh, was responsible for a few Twilight Zone episodes and some other things that, uh, that came out of his brilliant mind. But when he did this novel... Uh, it was sort of intended to be a modern-day vampire novel. Because up until then, vampires were gothic and supernatural, and he tried to bring the vampires into more scientific terms. Mm. So they were created by basically a bacteria, and the bacteria had a weakness to sunlight or to light and also uh, to garlic. But it wasn't the vampires that had the the reaction it was the actual uh virus or or bacteria so you know the 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 antagonists if you want to call them that were basically fairly normal looking people that had been infected by by this bacteria and in the novel there were actually two different groups there was the group of people that were living and got the bacteria and then another group that were dead and revived by the bacteria. Mm. So the uh, the ones that were basically living were starting a colony and getting organized. The others that were basically brought back from the dead were the ones that were banging on Neville's door and uh, <laughs> trying to kill everybody, and they were more kind of vicious and feral. But, um, yeah, the novel, about 10 years later was uh, adapted into the Vincent Price film, The Last Man on Earth, which Mm. actually was a co-production between the U.S. and Italy. And uh, if you look in the writing credits of the movie, uh, Richard Matheson actually did the original screenplay for it. But they had other authors come in and writers come in, and there was so much that was changed that he did not want his name in the credits. 
So he's actually there as uh, Logan Swanson. Right. So if you look at the credits, you see Logan Swanson. That's actually Richard Matheson, but he pulled an Alan Smithy and uh, decided to go with a pseudonym. pseudonym. So, um, yeah, so that brings us into the movie. What did you guys think of uh, Last Man on Earth? Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite uh, Vincent Price movies. Um, it, you know, it, it's not... Uh, Maybe because it's black and white. Uh, maybe it's because it was back in the 60s. Maybe it's because it was in Italy. But it just has more of a horror picture feel to it. Um, you know, burning the bodies in the, the open grave and, you know, taking trying to find his spoiler alert, you know, is looking for his daughter, not wanting his daughter to burn and burying his wife because he doesn't want his wife to burn and the wife coming back and, you know, let me in, let me in. Um it was just, uh, I don't know, had that kind of feel to it. What did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, that scene was basically, it was from the book where he buries her and she resurrects and comes back. And it yeah. uh, was one, one, of more, one of the more chilling scenes in the movie, definitely. I think it's interesting that originally Hammer got the rights to the book. And uh, boy, I would have really liked to have seen a Hammer production. That would of, have been uh, interesting. I Am Legend. But uh, I'm not sure exactly what I had heard was that there was some sort of issue with, and it's hard to believe that um, they would have gotten such a uh, restrictive rating if they used Matheson's original screenplay and you know, the violence would have been so over the top that they that they didn't go with it. But for whatever reason, Hammer, the, they let go of the rights. Uh, and then we wound up with this Italian production, which, you know, unfortunately is a very low rent production. Now, in some ways, that almost lends it a, an, an aura of verisimilitude because it feels almost like a documentary, much the same way like Night of the Living Dead almost feels like right. a documentary. And of course, you know, Romero was heavily influenced by this. Um, I, I do feel of, of the three films we're going to discuss, it's the most horrific of the three in atmosphere and, and um, the creatures that... Uh, in this one, Robert Morgan, not Neville, um, encounters. Why they changed the name, I don't really know. Because um, it sounds cooler to go, Morgan. Morgan. Morgan, open up, Morgan. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this movie was really creepy. I remember seeing it as a kid. And what was funny was I forgot most of the movie. At a certain point in my teen years, I kind of forgot most of the movie. I forgot the name of the movie. But that scene where they had these huge pits where they were dumping the bodies and there was just yes. this like smoke rising out it was stuck in my head and I kept remembering that scene and I started to wonder if like did I really see that in a movie or did I imagine it you know and I for years I was like where did I see that and then I finally saw the film again and it was like oh you know Eureka there it is and it was just as disturbing <laughs> all over again yeah well, I was I was just amazed that he could keep that fire going for three years. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, lighter fluid, and yeah. oh yeah, well you see him like pour the can the gas can in there before he uh, dumps one of the first bodies. Well, maybe that Funny. bacteria is really combustible. I guess it is because the sunlight, yeah. you know, is very uh, explosive. And then that was kind of another interesting thing about the novel too was that it explained that if one of the I don't know if you want to call them vampires or ghouls or whatever. We'll say vampires for now. If they get a small wound, like a bullet hole or a stab, the bacteria could actually heal the skin. Hmm. But if it was a larger wound, 
It couldn't. And that's why Neville was going around with stakes because he'd pound oh. a stake in it would make a larger wound. And then also the bacteria would escape and eat the body, which would basically make it look like a vampire, you know, getting stabbed, you know, with a stake and disintegrating. There was a throwaway line as he was whittling one of the stakes where he says, you know, he makes them larger at the end so that the wound won't close. But it he didn't yeah. get into the yeah. bacteria thing and stuff. So, Well, it was probably kind of a holdover from Matheson's screenplay. Mm. Well, and certainly this film keeps, I mean, it keeps a lot of Matheson's ideas and, and the one about the new society that is forming and that is going to supplant the human race. I mean, basically, you know, Vincent Price Morgan is the last remnant of that old society and he is the boogeyman to them, you know, which was this whole idea in the book was that, oh, he's going around and he's, you know, basically killing them, you know, while they sleep and he's terrifying to them and just as like they're terrifying to him, you know, he He's actually the one going out and doing all this killing and wiping out this, you know, this new society that's being formed. Because like you said, there's the, the ones that are mindless, but then there's that whole group that is actually, you know, conscious and forming a new uh, structure and everything. And that was kind of a really interesting concept. And you can see, you know, Price does a, you know, he overcomes a lot of the limitations of the production in this with his acting. And at the end where he kind of realizes it, he's still like, it, it, like he won't admit like, what he's done you know he's like i'm still a man i'm a i'm a real man i'm a human and uh, it's um it's interesting to see that that was the only film that really kept that concept intact you know that's a good point well that's the question with with morgan or neville or whoever are they actually superior or are they just the outcast that hasn't evolved into you know a form that would survive this apocalyptic you know landscape Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it the next evolutionary step or whatever? And yeah, I mean, was he resisting evolution or what? Right. Now, I know in the, in the novel, like towards the end, he's captured and put into a cell mm -hmm. and he realizes that they're going to execute him and he would be like the martyr or quote legend. And uh, the woman that he takes in, who in the novel was a spy for the group, um, she gives him some drugs that he could take basically that will kill him before they get to execute him. And that's actually how he finishes himself off so that, you know, they can't make an example of him or whatever. That's a bummer. Well, well, I mean, they all die in the movies too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they don't like not, you know, I yeah. guess, uh, yeah, I, you know, I guess there are fans of the book obviously. And, and, uh, yeah, who knows, maybe at some point we'll see an adaptation that has that, uh, ending in it. But um, well, supposedly uh, there we'll, is an alternate ending of I Am Legend that's closer yeah. to the ending of the book. Mm. A deleted well, I, scene. I will say. Uh, um, sorry, what was that, Chief? I said a deleted scene or an alternate scene or whatever you want to call it. Oh, oh, yeah. I, I will say uh, a lot of the fun that I had with this movie later in life. When I was a kid, you know, Bob Wilkins, the Creature Feature Show, showing this and the guy going around, Morgan, Morgan. It just creeps me out. Even now watching it as an adult, that did kind of disturb me a little. Um, but I, I think this is one of the fun movies that uh, Vincent Price uh, put out there. Uh, good acting, good story. Um, you know, like I said, whether it was filmed in Italy or just added to the whole um, 
dread of the piece, you know. Uh, one of my favorite films, definitely top, well, I mean, top 50. I even the fact that it was black and white in the 60s. I mean, by 64, most movies that were coming out were all in color. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously they wanted to save money or whatever, but I think the black and white definitely gives it more of an atmosphere. And Absolutely. again, it was yeah, it was definitely a big influence on George Romero and Night of the Living Dead, and uh, even Stephen oh. King was saying it was an influence on him. Right. Yeah, you definitely see that. Uh, I will say there was a colorized version on one of the streaming channels, and I, I watched about five minutes of it, and I was like, Nah, where's my where's my <laughs> DVD? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's kind of like one of those movies you can't colorize. Just leave it yeah, alone. Exactly. Well, so let's go ahead and um, jump in the uh, uh, Planet 8 time machine, and we'll move forward to the Omega Man. Uh, Walker, when was that film put out? Well, Larry, the Omega Man came out in 1971 mm. and s- starred our friend Charlton Heston, Chuck Heston, to those of us who knew him well. Um, you know, I, I have a real fondness for Omega Man. I have to say it was one of those seventies movies that I saw a bunch of times, kind of like Logan's run, you know, some of these films, it just seems like became part of the DNA. Um, but you know, unlike last man on earth, they changed a a lot in Omega Man. Um, And I think, you know, after doing a little reading and watching some some video and stuff, um, you know, a lot of that is was to suit Heston, I think, who, you know, was still a, a pretty major star. Um, I think he wanted much more of an action vehicle at the mm-hmm. time, um, you know. And uh, so you get him, you know, driving around in a Mustang convertible shooting up Los Angeles, you know, which is pretty entertaining, I have to say. Um, but, you know, in this version, it's it's interesting to see the stuff they kept and the stuff they changed. So he's Colonel Robert Neville, who is also a doctor, but he was a military man in this thing. Um, and the whole cause of the plague or whatever you want to call it was uh, a biowarfare weapon that was used in a war between the Chinese and the Soviets and somehow, you know, got around the world. And so uh, Heston's character was working on a vaccine, um, but before it could be deployed, uh, he was in a helicopter. They were transporting these experimental vaccines and his pilot got affected by the uh, the uh, the uh, virus and started choking and the helicopter crashes. And so, you know, Heston is left with the only sample of the vaccine and he injects himself. So he becomes the only person who's immune to this, this um, virus. And, uh, you know, another big difference in this film um, is the fact that they're not doing the vampires scientific or or otherwise that were in the books uh the people in this are basically if they didn't die out they mutated into these sort of albino uh people who were you know uh affected by light so they had to hide in the buildings and only come out at night so that was the the closest they got to sort of the vampire angle 
but they basically became Luddites. They hated technology. They hated science. And uh, they were led by sort of their equivalent of like Walter Cronkite, this guy who was, the, you know, the top <laughs> journalist uh, played by Anthony Zerby. You know, so they, this guy yeah. who was a figure that they trusted and everything um, right. turns into, you know, this cult leader. And they even call the group of people the family, which back in 71, you know, you hear the family, you think of the Manson family, right? So Yeah, that was yeah. a little too close, I think, in time to do that. But interesting choice. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so, you know, Heston is trying to put these people down. He just looks at them as, like, pathetic wretches. And I think part of it, too, is it's a battle between the last remnants of civilization. You know, you see in in Heston's uh, home, he's got all these great works of art, books, and, and everything. You know, he plays music. He has a generator and stuff, so he's always playing music. You know, so it's all about, you know, culture and, and learning and civilization. And then these guys, the family, are out there destroying books and paintings and sculpture. So it's that battle between, you know, society and civilization and, you know, this regression um, in this one. That's that's where it's really at. Well, and, and not just art and technology, but he had a very decent wet bar in the corner there, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he had this nice crushed velvet, green velvet jacket too. Before. That was insane. And his statue of Julius Caesar right. that he plays chess, chess with. But yeah, I mean the big that- the big difference between the Vincent Price character and the Charlton Heston character, or Morgan and Neville, is Heston's like going out, like you say, driving around in a Mustang. He uh, hang. He goes off into a uh, car dealership. That's how he gets to us. He goes into a car dealership because mm-hmm. he his other car ran out of gas. Whatever. He just takes another car off. He goes, hangs out in a movie theater watching Woodstock for probably the four hundredth time, <laughs> and uh, he's out just out like, hey, what are you gonna do? I'm the last man around, and you know I've got all this stuff I can enjoy. And so he's, you know, he's killing the family during the day. But for the most part, though, he's out there, and uh, I don't want to say enjoying himself, but entertaining himself anyway yeah i don't think he takes any real joy in any of this stuff he does but i think he's taking advantage of what he can do right it's like yeah i'll just take any car i want i'll i'll just take any clothes i want but there's no real joy in it and there's only there's one moment where you think maybe the guy is like about to go completely cuckoo where he's in the middle of the street and he thinks he hears the phones ringing right. and he has to like get a grip on himself. But that's about the only time they really let you think maybe the guy is cuckoo, you know, I mean, he talks to himself, but I think after 18 months of pandemic, we're all saying, ha, ah, who doesn't talk to himself? <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, he's definitely in a better place mentally, I think than Vincent Price was. We'll see if you're, oh, yeah. you know, you're in like, the pandemic, whatever, you're talking to yourself, that's when you need a dog. And Heston was the only one of the three that did not have a dog. Right. No, this is true. It, well, and and I think the thing about Heston's film, too, is that, yeah, there's that much more of that thing, that culture sh- war thing going on. And then they also brought in um, uh, Rosalind Cash as Lisa, mm. who becomes a love interest you don't really, you know, I, I guess Price sort of has that relationship, but it doesn't feel really that strong to me in the other film. Yeah, it's not really that romantic. In the novel, they got romantic. Mm. And in Omega Man, they got romantic. Yeah. That's a, that's her aversion to the garlic that kind of threw Vincent Price off. <laughs> 
Well, no, you would no you probably react the same way if someone just came up with a big bunch of garlic and stuck it right in your face. <laughs> but it was also kind of daring back in the 70s, too, to have that interracial relationship. Yeah. Um, we don't think much about it now, but back then, you know, that was a little bit unusual. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, it was funny. I mentioned this before we started recording, but I'd read an article where Rosalind Cash, you know, everyone is aware of Charlton Heston. I mean, you know, he'd, he'd been in a number of major films and she's like, you know, I just had the hardest time getting my mind around, you know, I'm going to do it with Moses <laughs> in one of the scenes. <laughs> yeah, that, that must have been, I think it was a, a lot for most of those young actors to be working with Heston, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it it's might be the time, too, but, like, Vincent Price didn't really have the romantic relationship. And then even Will Smith really didn't have a romantic yeah. relationship. Of course, that woman had a kid with her, so the opportunity yeah. may not have been right. But Well, w once we get to that film, I mean, I uh, well, uh, yeah, let's finish with Omega Man. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I had a problem with, with the family, um, but I did like that they had, you know, it, it was like a counterculture kind of message within the film. Um, him sitting there watching Woodstock and I, what do you guys think he thought of Woodstock? Did he wish he was there or was he looking at him like, you damn hippies or? I think he just missed, I think he missed people. And he just saw these young, healthy people, you know, and having that time. was the way it like was. Like the attraction. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, here's a question: If you were the last person on Earth, and there was a movie theater there, and you had to watch one movie like 400 times, what movie would you want in that theater? Hmm. Could it be any rated movie? Any? Uh, <laughs> are we going into Planet Eight After Dark now? Or? <laughs> oh no 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 no! I was just. Huh. Yes, it could be G. It could be Bambi. <laughs> um, God, I have such a wide palette. I mean, I love Disney's animated Beauty and the Beast film. You know, it has musical elements to it. Um, I also like Bedknobs and Broomsticks, another Disney classic. But you know, at Star Trek: The Motion Picture would be a good one. Logan's Run, Omega Man. That's that's a hard you know to nail it down. Um, yeah, but Omega Man would hit too close to home in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm, uh, I'm just watching myself on screen all day. <laughs> what are you thinking, Walker? I, I'd probably want a comedy, maybe a screwball comedy, something just really light and silly. Hmm. You know, I, I don't know which or what, but that's my general thought. Something with some music in it, maybe? Maybe. Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like movies I've seen a bunch of times and haven't gotten bored of. I think Holy Grail I can watch over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd watch Excalibur. Dun, 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 the Land dun. and the King are one. <laughs> but it doesn't have the Camelot number in it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, you know, musical's a good good idea. But for me, it's between Saturday Night Fever and Grease. Oh, God. <laughs> Holy it was really, like, you know, it's kind of like um, Red Dwarf, where they had to keep um, um, Lister sane. And so rather than giving him his best friend or his girlfriend, they brought up the twerp that bothered him the most, Arnold Rimmer, to help keep him <laughs> sane. So I'd have to watch something that kind of like irked me a little um, so that I could remain sane. <laughs> well, that would be Saturday Night Live then, or Saturday Night Fever. Da -na 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 -na. But yet with Grease, I could sing along, so... I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry. Sorry I asked. Okay. So <laughs> back to the Omega Next. Man. Well, 
But thinking of musicals, that brings me to the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Ron Grainer and my God, I just love the soundtrack. I know some people say, oh, it's dated, it's 270s, but man, it's a distinctive soundtrack. And um, it just, I don't know, it's just very, very cool. Well, I will talk about it a little more later, but it's a, it's, it's a really good soundtrack. And he, he also, I was surprised to learn that he had done uh, the theme for Doctor Who and The Prisoner. So. He worked on other, yeah, other properties. He, uh, very talented individual. Yeah, was he British? He was Australian. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. and and I'll never forget. I think it was one of the first Monster Paloozas we went to, Larry, <clears throat> on our our plus day, day before the the actual show, driving around L.A. and we were playing the Omega Man soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> and it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the Omega Man soundtrack, but I do have a soundtrack for Last Man on Earth. Hmm. Ooh, I didn't even know you, about that. You and Walker yeah. should do some trading. <laughs> well, Larry, Larry has to buy I Am Legend. <laughs> The things I do for the show. It was interesting, too. I was reading an interview with Charlton Heston from back in about 2001 and uh, some of the stuff he was saying about filming this. And uh, the interviewer was like, well, it must have been really hard to, you know, get the streets all deserted like that. And he was like, oh, no, no, you just go down to L.A., you know, the city center on like a Sunday and there's nobody around. And I was thinking maybe that was true in 1971, but I don't think that's true nowadays. Most places are open seven days a week. You know, back in the day, yeah, like Sundays and holidays, people closed their stores. But now, forget it. Everything's open, you know, all the time. But apparently that was their method. They'd go down early on a Sunday morning and just, you know, block off a couple streets and easy peasy. Yeah. Now, Sunday mornings in L.A., everybody's buying their Carmelos, Lotto, <laughs> uh, you know, all those fancy coffee drinks and juices at the juice bar. Yeah. Hmm. But no, I think no. of the three, this this to me is the funnest of, of the three of them. I think it's it's just, you know, it's not as depressing as the, the first one. Um, well, actually, it's not as depressing as either the first or the third one. It's just yeah. a lot more fun. It's almost like a video game. Well, n none of the films ends well for Morgan or Neville. But, uh, yeah, this, this one is a lot more fun to watch and just... Um, you know, th the fact is that it was actually filmed in L.A. Um, the first movie, like I said, mm -hmm. had gothic feel to it, you know, in, in Italy. Well, I forget what part of Italy. Um, it was right outside Rome. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I like Vincent Price as an actor, but Charlton Heston really defined like, you know, Soylent Green, Omega Man, Planet of the Apes. I mean, you well, know. He has a gravitas i mean he does you he know, got to be jesus in this basically <laughs> and he's he's in the christ pose at the end and his blood is going to save the world i mean come on it's over the top it's so over the top but it's charlton heston what do you expect it's, it's charlton heston exactly well i mean even though it's over the top i think it's exactly how a person would act in that situation i mean vincent price he's like single-mindedly you know, he's out right. killing the vampires and trying to come up with a cure and all that. Even Will Smith was fairly concentrating on finding a cure. Heston's out, like I say, watching movies and driving cars and, you know, having a blast you know, until the sun goes down. Sometimes he, he was having too much fun and he'd be like, oh, the sun's <laughs> going down. I got to get home. 
<laughs> you know, one of the things that kind of strikes me too with the uh, with the burning pits in in the Vincent Price film, and that was you know how many years after World War II, it kind of made me think of you know the concentration camps and how they would just dump you know the the bodies into into pits like that and just the horror of it. Um, with the Omega Man, it was you know the seventies. It was counterculture. It was Vietnam. I don't know if Watergate had happened yet. Not yet. Not yet. But, you know, we were were heading down that path. So, you know, maybe, you know, just the world around us as as we watch that film in the context of history kind of hits differently than than uh, I am legend or um, last man on Earth. Well, I mean, it was still a lot of anti-establishment counterculture type things back in 71. They didn't quite get into the polyester suits and disco era. It was still in the, uh, still in the thumb your nose to authority era. Yeah, it was, you know, drive, man, drive. Get on the motor scooter. I'll, I'll tell you what, the Blu-ray looks great. But uh-huh. in those, those scenes on the motorcycle, it's so obvious that that's a stunt double for Heston. <laughs> it's just so... That's one thing about when you go to high definition, all the stuff they used to get away with. It's like, oh, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it's funny because if you're going to get a stunt guy, you might as well at least try to get the hairstyle right. <laughs> and this guy had like the, the puffy hair and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, he I was like the totally different. Watched it, right, the, the guy like looks down. He's not looking at the camera. He shows the top of his head. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> All right, kids. Uh, any last words on the Omega Man? Fun. All movie. right. Well, that's. Oh, were you going to say something, Walker? Yeah. I just said all fun right. movie. That was all. Yeah. And well, yes, I will. I will add that I did see it in the theater when it came out. There you go. <laughs> I did not see Last Man on Earth in the theater. Okay. But I did see Omega. You would have. You would have been too wee a lad to see Last Man on yes. Earth in the theater. Omega Man. I was like eleven. Ah, must have made an impression on you. Well, I mean, like I say, Charlton Heston at that time did because right. between Planet of the Apes and Omega Man and Soylent Green and uh, you know all that, Earthquake that was another one. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, what was Howling Inferno, wasn't he? Or is that? Um, no, I don't think no. he was in that. But yeah, no, I'm thinking of someone else. But no, he I mean, did another disaster movie, but I, I, it was like two minute. Was it two minute warning? I forget. Hmm. You know yeah, what? But I mean, he was all over back then. What What kind of cheesed me off when I was doing some research for this is I came across some forum and people were making fun of Charlton Heston's physique in this. And it's like, look, back in those days, actors didn't have to all lift weights and have dietitians and nutritionists and all this other, you know, everybody didn't have to look like muscle men, you know? Right. It's like, yeah, he was probably looked like a pretty fit, you know, almost 50 year old guy uh, for that time. You know, he was a tall kind of lanky dude. Um, But it just blows my mind the kind of um, conceits people put on films from 30, 40, 50 years ago, whatever. And and people it's like, you know, people didn't like go to the gym back. And only people who were lifting weights, you know, bodybuilders went to the gym. It's like not everybody had like outrageous six packs and stuff. It was just. I don't know. The the lack of perspective just killed me. Well, I mean, they're just comparing it to 
what they see today. Exactly. Whereas, you know, every movie is a product of its time, and that's kind of how you have to look at it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have much to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Maestro. It Well, it would have been interesting, though, to have I, – I mean – Heston, it was almost like, yeah, he played Moses, and but he was like an action hero for the time. I mean, think right. of Schwarzenegger, you know, and then, well, you look at Schwarzenegger's physique and how he's all bulked up. It wasn't his acting or his gravitas that got him the roles. It was that they needed someone to look like a barbarian. Well, you know, birthday. it's funny because for I Am Legend, when it was in development for several years, uh, Schwarzenegger and Ridley Scott were attached to it. Um mm. They were going to have Schwarzenegger star in I Am Legend, and I don't know what happened. It fell apart, um, but he was seriously connected to it, and uh, that that might have been an interesting. Of course, it would have just been like crazy action movie. It would have I mean, been interesting. Um, I'll tell you, it, it, at some point, we should either offline or on uh, the podcast talk about how would Schwarzenegger have done in some of the roles that Heston was in. <laughs> and how would Heston do in a role like Conan and, you know, just the acting? And <laughs> well, he didn't, he didn't have a physique, though. Well, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you, were to, you know, act out, whatever. I mean, it, it, I, I would love to see Arnold stand on the, the cliff and, you know, as the Red Sea parts. You know, oh, what, about, what about Arnold in uh, Planet of the Apes? That I can almost see, you know. Yeah, but they'd be trying to catch him and he'd just be beating the crap out of all of them. <laughs> be punching out gorillas and stuff pulling arms out and slap them over the head with them get your dirty paws off me you damn dirty ape <laughs> oh god at the end of the movie damn you damn you all to hell you did it you finally did it <laughs> okay Let's jump in our time machine, Planet 8 time machine, because your mission commander is going to have too much fun with this. Let's talk about the Fresh Prince. Let's let, well, there you go. Now, 2007. 2007, and Will Smith, I like Will Smith. I think, uh, they did an interview with uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and they were like, you know, he's trying to become a, a star. And so uh, someone, had, and I'm paraphrasing, but take the Will Smith route. You do a lighthearted comedy, then you do action adventure, then you do, you know, so whatever Will Smith did to take him from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air to where he is now, um, he made a lot of right moves. Um, I Am Legend was not one of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I like the first part of that movie. It starts out well, but then it goes horribly wrong once the creatures are introduced. Well, I can tell you exactly where it went wrong. Chief, they killed off the best actor in the whole film. Oh, the dog. Once once the dog gets, once the dog dies, they lose me. That was it. Yep. That was horrible. And and I will say, in all three of the films, I did not shed a tear except for when the dog died. I mean, uh, I think you're right, Bob. I think after that, it was like, well, the dog was really the one character you really cared about. He helped keep Will Smith safe sane you know there's in my opinion and i love my wife and and i love you guys too but there's no better companion than a dog so loyal so loving i I, 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 yeah although you you could almost argue that it blunted the feeling of loneliness Mm. that that he had because he had the dog as a companion um and then almost immediately after the dog dies the the woman and the kids show up right so 
I don't know that I ever felt like he was as alone as the other two characters, the other two men. Well, Vincent Price, I mean, he's alone, and then he sees the dog. Yeah. And that's probably three years into his... Solitude. He sees this dog outside his house, and then unfortunately he brings it in, and you know, nurses it back to health, takes a blood test, and it's infected. Yeah. So you know, he probably had the dog maybe a few nights or something, but that didn't hit me that hard, though. You know, it. it, it, Yeah, probably because of the lack of time and and um, the amount of film time that the that the pet had, but um. I think Will Smith did a real good job. It wasn't there. Was, uh, I hadn't had chance to watch the movie like you guys, but um, where he's like, I don't know if it's a clothing store or a video store, and he's talking to people and asking them to, not people, but mannequins, mannequins. asking them to respond to him. And he really showed the the mind games that solitude can play on people. And, and I think there are different personality types. Some people do better alone and and some people do not. Um, I have a real good friend. He will be in the crappiest relationship just to be able to say he's in a relationship to his detriment. Um, so I, I don't Well, I, I think I, I thought Will Smith did a pretty good job. I thought the scene with the dog where he had to put the dog down was maybe the best scene acting wise he had in the movie. And I thought the mannequins Agreed. were kind of a callback to Omega Man because we, we had all the scenes where Charlton Heston was sort of talking at the, the mannequins. But I think, uh, yeah, Will Smith, it was a pretty good film on his part, but I never felt all that much compassion for him. I don't, I don't know what it was, you know, except like when he lost the dog and then I, I felt bad, but I felt more bad for the dog. Well, then, like, talk talk about the mannequins. It is a pretty shocking scene. He's got that one mannequin with a hoodie on that's outside the video store every day that he goes to the video store. And then suddenly he goes somewhere and it's standing in another place. Right. And he's and trying like, to figure out, what are you doing here? And trying to figure out if he's real. Yeah. Right. He was really. Yeah. Uh, and it was like blurring the lines between fantasy and reality. It's like, is he real? Mm-hmm. Did he walk over here? If not, who? Because if you think about it, the vampires, quote unquote, in I Am Legend are just these feral human beings for yeah. the most part. And it's not till later in the movie where you see one of them looks like he's starting to plot and plan and do some stuff. But for the most part, they're just running around and uh, crazed and attacking. So he wouldn't think that uh, that they would actually move a mannequin, let alone use it for bait and set a trap. Yeah, I had a hard time believing that. Well, they learned from him. I mean, wasn't he trapping them? And, you know, yeah. kind of like the next evolutionary step is, you know, mimicking. And they, and they got him good, too. You know, they got him real good. Oh, um, yeah. In that trap. But um, his losing his, his family, too. Oh, and that's a, I forgot to mention with Charlton Heston. That helicopter goes down pretty fast. And when it hits, <laughs> it bursts into this flame ball but he's okay off to the side so i guess at the last minute he was ejected or something it's chuck heston it is chuck heston you'll you, he can you, survive that, like that stuff though. but he was also the only of the three characters that we never really saw his family yeah never really mm-hmm. saw That's his background smart. other than you know leading up to the helicopter crash and and all that all but. right military man maybe maybe he had no family because of his military career Mm-hmm. But that's a fair point. Um, one of the other things I liked about the Will Smith film was just 
being able to play golf wherever. I mean, you know, you, you build routines into your life. That's taking an, a, a sidestep here. The character of John Dory over on the Fear the Walking Dead. He he had a routine of, of going to the video store. Was it like a market, Bob, or, or a video store or both? Yeah, and he'd actually sign out the movies on a little yeah, clipboard yeah. on the wall, and he'd like initial that he took it. Right, he was going right. alphabetically through the films. Yeah. You, you watched the Fear the Walking Dead Walker? Uh, I think I saw the first season. Oh, okay. I love it, to- it totally changed. Story. Uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. really gone. Story <laughs> was great. And, you know, Dory's like the German Shepherd, though. As soon as, as, soon as they killed him off, there man. There you go, Bob. That was it. There you go. Oh, spoiler but, alert. <laughs> but I will say there is a connection between Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead and Last Man on Earth. Last Man, yes. And that Down is and that is One, Morgan, three. who's named after Robert Morgan. Morgan. God, that's so chilling to me. Um, yes. And, and Morgan is one of my favorite characters in the walking dead as well, but I digress. You Uh, know, um, one of the things though, you guys were talking about, you know, the creatures set that trap for him. I I, I think of the three films, that's the thing that's the least, uh, satisfying is the creatures, not just that the CGI is just the shittiest CGI ever, but (laughs) I mean, we're talking Scorpion King. Oh, I was going to um, say, you're including Scorpion King in that, right? Yeah, it's it's on the same level. It's so bad. And it, it's not just the creatures, but like even the scenes with the deer and the, the uh, lions. I mean, they, it's just terrible. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was kind of thinking about that, you know, when we were like messaging about it earlier. And uh, I'm, look, I'm looking at these vampires, creatures, whatever you want to call them. And they have the, you know, they'll look in the camera and their mouths will extend much further than right. they should be able yeah, it's to. Cartoony. And talking of Scorpion King, we just watched the Brendan Fraser mummy recently. Yeah. And he does the same thing, opens his mouth wide, but it looks actually better in the mummy than it did in uh, in uh, I Am Legend. Even though I, I Am Legend was what, yeah. like almost uh, five, six years after the mummy? Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, they said that um, they had filmed people. They had, they had, you know, put people in makeup and, and filmed them running around, but they weren't satisfied with how they looked. But Jesus, I don't know how you can be satisfied with the CGI. I'd, I'd rather see real effects than yeah. what they, they wound up with. It was so jarring. I remember in the theater, once they showed those things, I just couldn't get back into the movie. I, it was just... I I couldn't you know concentrate because it was just took me out of the film. Well, I mean they de- they definitely illustrate my main complaint about a lot of, a lot of CGI, especially early CGI, is they don't have any weight. Yeah, they're just like gliding over the over the ground, and they almost look transparent in some scenes. And I hearken back to like the old effects by Bird Eye Gordon, where he would do the matte shots, and every once in a while the character in the foreground would look transparent, mm. but in this one, yeah, I mean, CG and yeah, they look like like they're not all there. Well, and they're they're also the least interesting of all of them. Because like in Last Man on Earth, you've got the ones, you know, going out some organ and they're they're tormenting him. And, you know, mm-hmm. he can sort of interact with them. And the same thing with Omega Man. He can interact. He can have conversations with the family, you know, and, and they have plans. They plot against him and stuff. These things just run around and tear things up and... <laughs> you know, they're just, they're not very interesting. You know, there's just not much there to grab your attention. 
Well, it's like there's no hope for humanity. Yeah. Right. You can't see any evolution or any change. It just, you know. It really takes you out of the movie. I mean, you know, same with the Scorpion King. When you see something that you really shouldn't be looking at, it's like there's this one movie where Harvey Keitel shows his penis and it just like, bam, <laughs> I'm out. I just. <laughs> yeah, that would. That would definitely take me out of the movie. Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, I don't know. And, and I feel that the end of I Am Legend just didn't have the satisfaction that the other two films had, especially Omega Man. I mean, yeah, it was over the top and, you know, the blood of Christ and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, and look, Will Smith is a decent actor. He, I, I like a number of his films um, that he's done over the years. But for some reason, this just didn't... Um, do you think at some point that because it's based on a Matheson story and and, you know, I Am Legend is just so such an iconic property, the novel to the films to even, you know, there's been some TV shows. Last Man on Earth was a comedy on Fox for a while. Um, Hell, IDW did a comic book uh, on it. I, I was going to ask if you guys knew it. Yeah, if someone did a comic book of the story, um, do you think it just gets hard to to play off the the gravitas of the story? And they are actually, I am legend. They did screw up on the CGI. I mean, I think that's just well off in there. I think it's going to be harder to do this story now after we're all living through a pandemic. Because um, all these things now, after after going through COVID and everything, have a slightly different cast to them than they did before, you know, because um, you can relate to certain things, you know, this concept of like, oh, you know, some virus wiping out civilization. That's really, uh, you know, a fantasy. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe it's not so fantasy or well, the concept I, of isolation. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, and I've made this point before. You've always watched like, you know, uh, Night of the Living Dead or zombie movies or whatever, or, uh, you know, Last Man on Earth. And it's like, well, how did the how did society fall if if we have a means to fight the virus? And I probably you know, shouldn't bring politics into planet eight, but society fell because not everyone chose to got, get vaccinated or the vaccination was not a true vaccination. I mean, either side of the aisle that you sit on. But but that's a potential end. I think it would be more interesting now, even Planet of the Apes. How did you know in, in the remake of the Planet of the Apes, they have that end scene where they show ground zero for the plague and how it just spreads around the Earth, mm -hmm. you know, in a number of, of days or weeks, however long. I think it's more plausible and more understandable to us as a society now globally, globally, because COVID has touched every part of the earth yeah um yeah. i mean you know even yeah. like movies like the andromeda strain and things it's like it's another well, good it, one yeah. it could really happen now you got to go back and look at those in a whole different light exactly yeah well trust me guys no matter what you do you don't want to see carvey Keitel's pee pee so avoid <laughs> that and you're going to be okay um let me see any final words on the i am legend movie or Bob, did you want to do you want to mention that alternate ending? Because I think I know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, yeah, well, yeah. In the original novel, um, Neville is basically captured and, uh, you know, by the by the living that were infected and had minds. Um, he was captured. And he was put in a cell. And then the woman that uh, he brings in, he brought in 
who actually turned out to be a spy for the vampires. Um, she goes to talk to him and he realizes that he's going to be executed. And uh, he's been being executed. He was going to be like a martyr or he'd be a, a quote legend. Mm-hmm. And uh, she gives him the out. She gives him these drugs that he could take to kill himself. And so he actually ends up killing himself in the cell so he's not made an example of out in public. But supposedly there's an alternate ending, and I think you can see it on YouTube. You can see anything on YouTube. There's an alternate (laughs) ending of the movie I Am Legend that is more closer to what happened in the novel than what actually came on screen, which is just him grabbing a grenade and running out and blowing everybody up. Mm. I wonder if it would have really made uh, any kind of a difference to the overall feel of the film. Well, I know one thing I had read was that they'd considered an ending where Will Smith's character would have lived, Mm. but that just doesn't seem to have the right feel. You know, it just feels like he he has to sacrifice himself. Like all all of these characters, well, the other two characters die. Um, So it it just seems, I don't know, it seems fitting somehow. Mm. Well, yeah, well, I mean, all three discover a cure and then die before that cure can get out. Although, right. uh, was it Omega Man? I think he uh, he hands the uh, vial, right, to the, yeah. the survivors. Yeah, he hands it over. Before he's killed. Mm-hmm. And even Will Smith hands the vial, his vial over mm-hmm. to uh, to the woman he was staying with as she yeah. was going back to her society. Right. So, potentially, they, they save the world before they die. It's interesting to look at all the similarities and the differences and stuff, but... Right. Very, all very different as far as the tone and feel. Very true. Well, un- until we get another movie, uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode, which brings us to our censor sweep this episode. Uh, Karen, you have the censor sweep. What have you got for us, buddy? Well, fittingly, <laughs> I uh, dug out <laughs> my CD. These were these little metal discs that had music on them. We used to what? insert an, them into machines. And an actual CD disc? Yes. Uh, it, this is the motion picture soundtrack for the Omega Man. It's the Omega Man 2.0 Unlimited. This was put out by Film Score Monthly magazine. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I think this was from... 2010 something like that i was it was funny i had a little discussion on twitter with uh my my pal and and planet eight uh friend uh bill uh about this uh cd which apparently is now kind of hard to get uh it differs from you know some of the soundtracks you can get of omega man this one has 18 tracks over an hour of uh musics a lot of cues that apparently uh, you can't get on the regular soundtrack album and some that weren't included in the film because there was a scene uh, uh, that involved uh, Lisa finding a family member in the crypt with a baby. Um, so there's music from that. So anyway, it's just a really, really great sounding soundtrack with a ton of music on it so if you want to tootle around los angeles like the omega man like chuck heston rent yourself a mustang and uh, cruise around get your hands on this soundtrack uh now i don't know how much you're going to pay for it though this was a limited edition at the time i can't remember if i got it from film score monthly direct or how i got my hands on it i didn't pay a ton for it but i looked it up i saw on amazon it was going for a hundred bucks so i i don't know what 
Yeah, but it's a great soundtrack, and uh, I just I just think it's such a, a a cool. It's definitely a very '70s soundtrack, but it's a very cool soundtrack. And I think that was in the '70s before. Well, actually, I guess the '80s when they started doing the synthesizer stuff. So this was yeah, he has this is more orchestral. Right? Yeah, it's very orchestral. He has some. Um, I think there's some, some water chimes in there, and I, there is a little bit of electronic music in there i think at a at a point um it's it's an interesting you know it's percussive too i like which i always like in my soundtracks um, although i don't know if you guys saw dune wow that is a strange percussive atonal soundtrack but that's a whole nother story <laughs> is this the new dune the new dune mm, i haven't seen it yeah i was not really impressed with the first dune so i had no real interest in the second dune or the new dune the, the new dune Oh, isn't, uh, it, isn't it on like HBO Max or something? Yeah, but you you should see it in a theater. It's really, I mean, visually and the sound production, very impressive. I still couldn't care less about any of the characters, but um, <laughs> well, that's how I felt about the novel. I'm just being honest here, guys. Just but, go watch the special effects. Forget the acting. Watch it and listen to it. Get a big tub of popcorn and <laughs> turn your brain off. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to go see Eternals this weekend, so no Dune for me. Yeah, I think that's my plan, too. Yeah, I still have to catch up on Venom and then Eternals. Yeah, I'm going to skip Venom. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I've seen all the other Marvel stuff. I might as well see Venom, I guess. There you go. I'm waiting for, the, uh, for it to come to streaming. Although I did see No Time to Die. Nice. I did see that as I, well. Which I loved. Good, sir. I, I have not seen it. Well, you got a lot of catching up to do, Commander. I, I went, I went into the movie with some trepidations, but I came out loving it. That's good. Well, there you go. You have a bonus uh, movie reviews. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, uh, we appreciate you for uh, supporting us, listening to us liking us over on YouTube, um, be part of our Facebook uh, world, part of our Twitter world. Stay safe, and uh, until we meet up again, peace out. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. At it again, I see. What'll it be tonight? Museum of Science, some library. Poor miserable bastards.
します。